Okay, doesn't seem like a year ago since we were all here uh, in this marquee uh, at the opening of the 2022 festival and absolutely delighted last year, if you'll recall, that, you know, we came back after a few years off. But um, this year, well, it's continuing. It's going from strength to strength and great to see people here. And I mean, there's, there's a whole load of uh, activities, events, on over the weekend, started last night with fabulous concert from Donna Taggart in the Sacred Heart Church in Scariff. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, I think everyone who was there, you know, were gobsmacked with it. Uh, today, tonight, music up in the square. And there's so many things for all the family on over the weekend. Uh, I suppose there's a couple of things you need. There's two anyway. One is this wristband. Good woman yourself, you have it. And the other is this, because it would be a pity to pick up this next week and find out, God, look at that. I'd have loved to go to that. So have a good look at it. There are so many things on, you could easily miss something all over the, the town, both in Scariff and in Tumgraney. So I suppose it's also, we're in 2023, it's also 20 years this year since our first festival. And uh, it seems only like the other day, but um, it's just brilliant. And each festival, one has been better than the other down the years. And we've had a fantastic, fantastic time here with the festivals in Scariff on the August bank holiday weekend. Anyway, tonight we have De La Lune uh, playing in the square. And we have uh, Queen, not the original Queen, Q-W-E-E-N. And those, uh, I'm really looking forward to that, being an avid fan of Queen myself. However, let's get the proceedings underway this evening, our official opening. And I'll start by uh, inviting uh, the chair of um, the Scarf Harbour Festival, Mike Rogers, to welcome you here. Mike. Thank you very much, Jim. On behalf of the committee, I'd just like to say a few quick words just to welcome um, our guests here on stage. And I'll start on this side with uh, Brian Tracy, of course, who's the new regional manager for uh, Waterways Ireland, councillor or mayor of Clare, Joe Cooney, and of course, Monica McWilliams, who's travelled down here with her bodyguard, she assures me, her sister Mary, down for the weekend. So you're very welcome to your first time in Clare. It's been two years since uh, the COVID break, so it's been great to be back, and we had a very successful year last year, and we're looking forward to another great year this year. So I'd like to welcome Monica McWilliams and her sister Mary to Scariff and thank them for coming to officiate at the opening of this year's festival. As we're celebrating the 25th year of the Good Friday Agreement, we are delighted to have a signatory of the agreement here in Scariff this weekend. We've always had strong links with Northern Ireland through our partnership with Waterways Ireland. Um, we've particularly strong northern links this year with our musical acts, Donna Taggart, as Jim mentioned, the four of us, the Logues, and we hope that uh, your visit to East Clare, Monica and Mary, will be full of joys and memories for the years to come. And I know that Anne Jones down there will be looking after you for any of your needs. I'd also like to congratulate uh, Councillor Joe Cooney and Brian on their new roles they've taken up, as I said, Mayor Clare and the Western Regional Manager. And we wish them both well in their endeavours in the future. We have a very varied and interesting programme and lineup, and hopefully there are a few events that will appeal to everybody over the coming days. I'm not going to go into detail, as, as Jim has warned me not to take his um, speech away from him, so I'll leave that to Jim. Uh, we just hope that you all enjoy the programme and that you get to see as many parts and uh, events that are on over the week. We are now in our 20th year. And it's fair to say that the festival has become a very important social, cultural and economic uh, force in East Clare. We've taken a lot of time and effort to get to this stage in the course. Um, we needed a lot of support along the way to achieve it. And without all that support, particularly from locals and sponsors, we wouldn't be able to achieve it. On that note, I'd like to thank our sponsors, big and small, for their continued support of the festival. It simply wouldn't be possible to put the programme together without your help. 
In particular, I'd like to thank Waterways Ireland for instant support and cooperation since day one. It's been a fantastic collaboration and one that I think has benefited the festival and Waterways Ireland. And long may it continue, Brian. Again, this year, EKO Integrated Services, the new owners of FENSA, which is just across the, the river there, have been very supportive to the festival and I would encourage everybody to go on to have a look at their, um, they're doing um, a show just on FENSA back from its years of inception to where it is today and I suppose where they hope to take it to the future. I would also like to thank Clare County Council, our local councillors and the Gardaí for their support over the festival and appreciate all the help that they give us. I want to thank everybody and anybody who has helped us over the weekend from putting the stage together to stewarding the traffic, helping the clean-up, selling wristbands. We're lucky to have such wonderful community spirit in East Clare and we couldn't run the festival without your help. I would also like to thank our committee. Um, we're a small committee, but they're very enthusiastic and hardworking. And special thanks to Anne Jones for all her help and guidance. It makes a big difference to make the, the weekend such a success. Finally, I'd like to thank the public who come out every year to support us. Um, if we didn't have your help for the festival, it would, just wouldn't happen. And it's great to see that the rain has returned on cue for the 20th year in a row. So just finally, everyone, we wish you a happy, safe and enjoyable weekend. And thank you very much. Now there's some chance the seats might fill up when the rain is here. We have, um, I suppose, a couple of things. It's great to see that uh, Anne Jones will look after our guests for the weekend. And indeed, if any of you have any problems over the weekend, talk to Anne and she'll sort them out for you. Uh, Mike mentioned his hardworking committee there, and they are a hardworking committee because, as you can imagine, a weekend like this with the, a myriad of activities doesn't just happen. They have been planning and this for months and months and months. And that committee consists of eight people, uh, Deirdre McMahon, Mary Barrett, Karina O'Brien, Marcus O'Neill, Sandra O'Holloran, Harry O'Mara, Francie Corbett, and the aforementioned Michael Rogers. So I'd ask you maybe to give them a good round of applause. As I said, loads of things happening, um, whether or no weather. I mentioned the beginning, you know, you need two things. You need a wristband and you need the brochure. You might also need an umbrella this evening. Um, but I mean, the rain has never stopped us enjoying this weekend over the last 20 years. And by God, it's not going to stop us this year. Uh, tomorrow, just as an example, um, three events tomorrow in Tungreni. And that's the, an open day um, in McKiernan's Weavers, which is a fabulous place. Uh, then there's a walk at 11 o'clock through the great forest of Schlivati. And that's starting in Tungreni as well. And then, if you haven't enough, you can go to the chocolate factory in Tungreni and build your own or make your own chocolate bar. And uh, they have a fabulous um, place there in Tungreni. Uh, in the, the chocolate factory. So Trish and her staff will look after you. All you need to do any of those is one of these, a wristband. Now, I met this evening. We had Aina Rowe here in previous years, um, but taken over from Aina this year uh, as the Western manager of uh, the Waterways Ireland. And Waterways Ireland are a fantastic sponsor here of the Scarlet Harbour Festival year after year for many, many years now. But I want you to give a big Scarlet welcome to the Western Regional Manager of Waterways Ireland, Mr. Brian Tracy. Thanks very much, Jim. Good evening, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests and elected members. I'm delighted to be here tonight to represent Waterways Ireland at the Scarlet Harbour Festival. I'm going to keep this brief, as I'm sure, like myself, you're all looking forward to hearing Monica's wonderful story shortly. I would firstly like to extend my thanks 
for the warm welcome of the organising committee and offering me this, this opportunity to address you all this evening. By way of introduction for myself, my name is Brian Tracy, and as mentioned earlier, I've taken over as the Western Regional Manager for Waterways Ireland, which essentially means I'm covering the River Shannon from Loch Allen down to Limerick. My predecessor was in a row, who sends his apologies that he can't join us this weekend. For me, this is a very local celebration and a welcome opportunity to address you all. We're here on the grounds of Waterways Ireland's Western Regional Office, a fact we're very proud to have based here in Scarif. Waterways Ireland is one of the six North-South implementation bodies established under the British-Irish Agreement Act of 1998, which Monica was heavily involved in and I'm sure will allude to later on in some of her, her speech. We essentially look after the management, maintenance, development and promotion of over a thousand kilometres of inland navigation waterways, principally for recreational purposes. We look after seven key navigations across the north and south of Ireland. The Barrow Navigation, Loch Ban Navig Lower Ban Navigation, the Royal Canal, the Urn System, the Shannon Urn Waterway, Grand Canal, the Shannon Navigation, and we're currently working on an eighth navigation in the development of the Ulster Canal, which is well advanced in phase two of construction. For anyone that would like to know more about Waterways Ireland, I would encourage you to check out our website. We currently have a public uh, consultation process ongoing on our 10-year long-term plan. The plan sets out what Waterways Ireland key strategic goals are going to be over the next 10 years, and we're actively seeking feedback from you, the members of the public and the communities that live on the River Shannon, to give us feedback on what our planned strategic priorities are. So just to come to the festival, what a fantastic festival it is. Um, I would like to acknowledge the tremendous effort that's put in locally to arrange this festival. The Scarra Festival is actually the first festival that Waterways Ireland funded back 20 years ago, and we've been so proud to see how much it has grown over the last 20 years and gone from strength to strength. Uh, even earlier in the week, Anne had sent me through the brochure and I was just looking through it, I was actually blown away by the amount of events that you managed to squeeze in over, over three days. There's so much variety there over the three days, and hopefully the weather, and even if the weather doesn't play a part, I'm sure it'll be a fantastic weekend. As I said at the start, I'm not going to delay. I was fortunate enough to spend some time with Anne earlier and she really has an interesting story to tell, so I don't want to take any time from that. I will finish by thoroughly wishing you all an enjoyable weekend, thanking the organising committee for my, this opportunity. I look forward to working with the Scarif Harbour Festival and the people of Scarif in the future. And once again, I hope you have a brilliant weekend. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Brian, and hopefully you will enjoy your first festival in your new role. So well done and congratulations. Again, just a reminder, so many things on this weekend. You see the scouts out here this evening, um, and they're on all over the weekend up in the green showing what they can do. Another thing you could go to if you haven't, if you're not new to Scarif and haven't seen Seed Savers before, they're out the Fecal Road, and they have a fabulous setup out there where they... Um, they have fabulous apple trees and they save and, and grow apple trees, but they also save all kinds of seeds. They have a wonderful seed bank out there and it's, uh, it really is a, a fantastic um, outfit that they have out there. So I would suggest you go and see them. Or you might want to spend the time kayaking. You probably saw the kayakers out there a bit earlier and that's a sport that has really grown in this area. Maybe genealogy is your thing. And you'll have Joan or Jane Ryan tomorrow and Sunday uh, talking about the, uh, you know, the possibilities and giving, I think, workshops and some advice and tips on how you might trace your ancestors. The community garden is in Scarif, just behind the street. And uh, that's a fabulous place as well, um, where they have uh, the garden and a, a restaurant, a vegetarian restaurant that goes with it. Or perhaps chipboard, because chipboard was a hugely important industry in this area for over 50 years. And uh, now it's taken over by new management. But the story of chipboard is absolutely fantastic. And I know John uh, Kelly, the photographer down here in front of me, uh, has, you know, has a part to play in that. But it's a great look back, I believe. I haven't seen it yet, but it's, it's a great look back over the last 50 years of chipboard. Anyway, enough of that. Let's go on our next speaker, uh, brand new Mayor of Clare, um, and that is from O'Callaghan's Mills, Mayor of Clare, Councillor Joe Cooney. You're welcome, Joe. Thank you, Jim. Fellow elected members, 
of Arctis members, special guest, Washway Island's Western Regional Manager, invite your guests, Festival Commission members, ladies and gentlemen, and Carter Golair. It is my pleasure as Mayor of Clare to welcome you all here today. I cannot but express my, delight, accept, my delightful acceptance of this invitation on behalf of Clare County Council from Scarborough Harbour Festival Committee to address you. Since the Harbour, Harbour Festival inception in 2023, or 2003, it has gone from strength to strength. And its location in the calendar of the August Bank Holiday weekend in our lovely Irish summer weather will provide us all with so much entertainment and fun. I am sure the damp weather won't dampen the festi festival spirit in Scarif over the next couple of days. East Clare has seen fantastic promotion of the commercial and tourism potential of Lockdale and its inland waterways, which extends up the Shannon River to Inniskillen. Through the hard work of the Festival Committee, we welcome all visitors to County Clare. And as you're aware, I'm joined here on the stage by Michael Rogers, the chairperson of the committee, Washway Island's new regional manager, Brian Tracy, and of course, our special guest for the weekend, Monica McWillams, to mention but, but a few. Among many that make, that make the promotion of Scarif, East Clare, and Lockdale successful, which is vital and important for the Midwest region. The opening of Washway Island Regional Office in Scarif in 2006 and its involvement and cooperation with the community in Scarif has been extremely beneficial and was brought to fruition through the foresight of the North-South Ministerial Council and the corresponding arts and culture departments. The groundwork was undertaken when Sheila de Valera was Minister for Arts, Heritage, Gaelic and the islands, significant development and investment have taken place in Scarif Harbour, and she's steadily becoming the focal point of the Irish inland navigable water systems. Over the years, the Festival Committee has concentrated on the development of the North-South relationships and welcomed guests from Northern Ireland for the official opening of the festival. On this occasion, I'd like to welcome Monica McWillams to Clare and Scarif. Monica is best known as co-founder of the National Ireland, Ireland Women's Coalition and has a signatory of the Good Friday Agreement, an academic and for her research on domestic violence. Such a champion and has led from the front since her early day, earlier days, winning many debates and drama awards in her school days in St. Anne's Primary School and Loretto Convent, Coolrain. Education has been such a success story in both North and South of our island, and Monica has an incredible CV graduation from Queen's University, Belfast, in 1975. Winning a scholarship to the University of Michigan and going on to um, complete a further post-graduation work on urban planning and racing in the inner city, Detroit, had been a fantastic achievement for her. Before returning to introduce a certificate in women's studies to provide access to third-level education for women from disadvantaged communities, Along, alongside the first Irish University Master's Degree in Women's Studies. Peace on our island is one of the biggest and proudest achievements we can stand over, and the signing of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. Monica, in 1996, co-founded the Northern Ireland Women's Coalition, a political party that crossed the sectarian divide and adopting a party platform based on inclusion, equality, and human rights. The vision and leadership and proposals on victims of the conflict and integrated education and shared housing, the establishment of a civic forum 
and the right of women to fair and equal political participation put forward for a fairer society in equal partnership, and most important of all, has led to the peaceful society we all live in today, and we are so grateful to your role in peace. The Scarif Harbour Festival organisers have done so much incredible work in pushing together a festival with so many attractions. For everybody in the community of all ages and surrounding parishes. When I look at the festival brochure to see so much local talent from food, water sports, art, weaving, gardening, walking tours and much more. You, you can all be so incredibly proud of your work and I look forward to enjoying the weekend. I'd like to acknowledge before I finish up Scarif Bay Radio has been one of the East Clare's greatest success stories since its launch in 2015. Had been providing music, sport, culture, and the new broadcast events locally and leaves no stone unturned to provide its excellent broadcasting to all its listenerships. So well done, everyone involved, and enjoy your weekend. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, great to have you here. Thank you for your comments on Scarif Bay. Incidentally, we are going out live to the world this evening here from uh, Scarif at the opening of the festival. So uh, we are broadcasting live. And great also to see the Clare Champion here, as I mentioned, John Kelly down there and Dan Danher over here. And thank you both for coming to cover the opening of the Scarif Festival. Uh, just, I suppose, one couple of other things. Tomorrow we have Marty, and Marty is cooking, or, or at least he'd be talking about cooking uh, in the square, so that's something to look forward to. And there's mindfulness as well tomorrow, and it's all details around the brochure. And tomorrow evening in the, um, on the stage in the fair green, we have Norma Manley, and that will be followed by the four of us. So top-class entertainment here at the Scarif Harbour Festival 2023. Now, as many of the, all the other speakers have alluded to, uh, our guest of honour uh, this evening, who was here to open the festival, and we're absolutely delighted to welcome somebody who has done so much in a whole load of areas uh, in Northern Ireland and beyond um, for, for peace and for justice and for equality. So, again, another big Scarif welcome for Monica McWilliams. Thanks very much. I'm delighted to be here. And as I listen to that wonderful rain coming down on your marquee, I'm reminded of the words, after the clouds comes the sun. So I'm hoping for the rest of your weekend you get to see some of that, which I did today. Um, thank you, Anne Jones for that wonderful trip and arranging it, and arranging for me to come here um, this weekend. I feel I'm going home with my batteries recharged, having sailed down the rivers of peace into Loch Derg, and having watched the beautiful tower on Holy Island, which I took a photograph. Um, my son lives in Chicago. My son, as I see this little lad running around, it was identical to this little boy, and he grew up um, right through the Troubles, um, and he's now 37, um, and will live a very different life from the life I led, and indeed he had in those first years. But he now lives, he now lives in Chicago and probably creates as much noise there as, as this one does. He was a live wire. And I took a photograph to send a picture of the tower on Holy Island, because Anne told me it goes back to the 6th century. And he's married to an American. And so the caption on that photograph is going to be, America, eat your heart out. Look what we've got in East Clare. It's quite something to pass a monument from the 6th century. So thank you, Anne, and thank you for your wonderful hospitality and making it such a wonderful afternoon here in East Clare. And 
Mike, can I thank you uh, as chair of this wonderful festival? Um, it is a long time since I've been in the heart of a community, and this is a real community where everyone seems to be participating, from the very young um, to the scouts, um, to the people making the tea in the kitchen, um, and to making bars of chocolate and learning to cook. And I hope I'll have time to go to the genealogy workshop tomorrow. Um, we've always been interested in that because we've been told that our folks originated somewhere here in the east of Ireland and ended up in Northern Ireland. Um, and I'll be speaking tomorrow afternoon at um, Scarif Library. Um, I'll give a plug for my book, Stand Up, Speak Out, because I only have a few minutes to talk to you tonight. Um, but I will be talking more about how an ordinary woman like myself who grew up in a rural community, in a village, um, where there was two of everything, which was typical of Northern Ireland um, back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, Catholic chemist, Protestant chemist, Catholic dentist, Protestant dentist. Um, two of, of course, there was always two schools, and unfortunately there still is. Um, and I spoke about this yesterday on Clare Radio, about what it was like, even though it was peaceful. Um, it was not just, um, and that sense of inequality was very strong there. And went marching when I was 14, 15 years old with my father and my brothers and sisters to the first, one of the first civil rights marches. So I was 14 growing up when the troubles broke out and I was 44 the day I signed the peace agreement. So we knew nothing else for 30 years except bombs and murders and indeed my own good friend my student friend at university, Queen's University, which you will know well. I've discovered my friends here tonight uh, from Belfast, um, from Queen's University. He was murdered in 1974, and it was many years later we found out that he was tortured um, before he was shot four times in the head and his body dumped close to the playing fields. Um, and it was many years later that I found out um, the, whole, the whole story of who had done this um, and indeed, when I sat down the very first day at the peace table, uh, the peace talks, I turned and the armed group that had been involved in this murder was sitting right beside me. Um, but that's, and part of the story I'll tell you tonight is what happens when you eventually move um, out of conflict into talks, that you will sit with people who describe themselves as enemies. Today, they're described as opponents. Um, perhaps someday we'll describe them as our neighbours and friends. So thank you, Mike, for inviting me to be your guest. Um, and Brian, thank you for showing me waterways. Um, all I can remember is waterways Ireland, waterways Ireland, over and over again in my head as we came close to the final week of the peace talks. And in, that, in my book, I talk about um, Yeats's poetry. Um, and the first day we sat down, I thought of his lines, out of Ireland we have come. Great hatred, little room, has maimed us from the start. And as we drove down through Yates country um, yesterday and again this morning to come here to Scariff, I those words were going over and over. Because I opened up the peace talks as the only woman, two women at the table amongst 70 people in that room. We were the only two. And I was asked to give some opening words and I said those words. And I said, here we are in this little room. Let's see what we can do. Um, little did I know two years later that I would be a signatory to that peace agreement. And it is the 25th anniversary this year. Um, and I'm recalling a lot of what we have achieved and the work we still have to do. But what we have achieved, Brian, is Waterways Ireland. Um, and I remember, and you were reminding me, Waterways colleagues, um, of Dermot Gallagher from Leitrim and he was the head of the Department of Foreign Affairs and was at our peace talks and from Leitrim all he ever talked about was waterways and canals and rivers and I couldn't understand until I sailed down the peaceful rivers and waterways today the importance of all of this in terms of north-south and the importance of the fact that John Taylor came out on that first Monday of the last week of the peace talks and said he wasn't going to touch this agreement because that was the first time we saw the draft was on that Monday. 
And he said, I'm not touching it with a 40-foot barge pole. All because of things like Waterways Ireland and, and the other north-south bodies. And yet 25 years later, we hardly hear a word about this contentious north-south body. It is taken as accepted. Um, and it's incredible, some of the things we marched for um, in the early 70s, like fair employment, like the right to housing, um, and fair allocation of housing, um, and the right to fair voting without gerrymandering. They're all taken for granted now. So there is a lot of fuss made about these things when they're first introduced. And I'm still dealing with a lot of contentious issues, the fallout of Brexit. But I'm looking forward, Brian, to the day when it comes, when we'll say, the Northern Ireland Protocol? What was that? Just like we would say, Waterways Ireland, isn't it wonderful? And what a great achievement and how we're thriving. But likewise, I'm hoping we will do the same when we finally make our way through the shenanigans that we're currently going through with the Assembly being down um, all over this issue of the Windsor Protocol and the regulations, North and South, and indeed East and West between Ireland, um, Northern Ireland and England. And Joe, I thank you as Mayor. Um, it's wonderful to be in front of the Mayor of this wonderful place. Um, and thank you for saying a few words about my bio tonight. We had a bit of a chat, Joe and I, earlier. And I was saying it's quite incredible to see the difference between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. I'm working very closely. Uh, I'm a commissioner on the Independent Reporting Commission to disband paramilitaries. And you might ask after 25 years, uh, why are you still involved in something like trying to disband paramilitaries? Why haven't they all gone away? And it just shows you that it's an unfinished business and that you have to keep working at this. But it's funny, when I met the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, in Dublin, he tells me that down here there's a problem in trying to find enough recruits for the Garda Síochána uh, because you have full employment and because there are good jobs and because there's not as many recruits coming forward. We have the opposite problem in Northern Ireland. We have no money to pay for the numbers of recruits who want to come forward because of the cuts, because of austerity, because of the Conservative government saying cut, 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 cut. Um, and it is having a huge impact on us. So the opposite side of full employment, uh, the opposite side of being desperate uh, to get more neighbourhood policing on the streets, uh, to tackle the issues of drugs and to tackle the issue of paramilitaries and their coercive control, and to help us do the work as commissioners, which is to take the leadership, both of dissident Republicans and of uh, loyalists who are nervous about the direction of the future the constitutional future of Ireland in terms of remaining with the United Kingdom or coming into a shared island and the nervousness of why they will not go away and also the legacy issue, the legacy of the troubles um, and why we need to start talking and taking account of what we did and taking responsibility for ensuring it never happens again and to go in front of victims and to start saying this is what happened to your loved one and it looks like that's going to be a very difficult process. But that's what we're doing as we speak. That's the movement that will happen. So the, all of these things, the disbandment of paramilitaries, the establishment of a civic forum like your Citizens' Assembly, which my party put into the peace agreement, has never happened. And yet you have a Citizens' Assemblies, assemblies of which Anne Jones was a member on biodiversity, which I heard all about today. And it's an amazing way to have such contentious issues discussed and with expert testimony coming in to the people of Ireland, focusing on these issues, preparing reports and giving them to politicians. That's how I saw it back in uh, 1998 when I wrote that into the peace agreement. There was no such word as citizens' assembly, but there was a thing called the Civic Forum, and it was a bottom-up movement of social, economic, cultural advisors to help those First Assembly um, politicians, of which I was one, um, to enable us to get through those difficult years. And unfortunately, the political representatives didn't see it as being of any use to them, and they stood it down. So that still is an outstanding issue. 
as indeed is the Bill of Rights, I later became the Chief Commissioner for Human Rights, which is a strange trajectory that I never dreamed I would have of coming through civil rights, going and campaigning for women's rights, because they never believed that there should be a Sex Discrimination Act in Northern Ireland. The only thing they said in Northern Ireland was religious discrimination, so we didn't need to have the UK extend the legislation. And that's when we first went marching for that legislation in 1975 and onwards. Um, and finally, after civil rights, women's rights, becoming the Chief Commissioner for Human Rights, and out of the peace agreement, I was handed the mandate to advise on a Bill of Rights for the future. Unlike you, who have an Irish constitution, we do not have anything that is formalised. So our right to be British, Irish or both, which we wrote into the peace agreement, and one day, if we have a shared island, that right will be so important. It has never been a judiciable right. It's an aspiration, and not everyone knows that. The right to be British or Irish or both. The fundamental right of the peace agreement simply sits there because the Bill of Rights, the advice that I drafted with my commissioners in 2010, remains gathering dust on 10 Downing Street. Um, so those are the outstanding issues um, and the importance of the bottom-up movements um, and local politicians um, talking about these issues and the importance of them. Um, so thank you, Mayor, again, because you will understand the importance of locality. So again, to our MC, Jim, thank you. What I want to talk about very briefly, because I don't want to keep you here too long because you're dying to get out into the rain and take a good walk tonight, um, is the high-level champions. Hi, did I, from a small rural area, raised as the daughter of a cattle dealer, both my sister and I, and from a small village. Uh, how did I end up um, an ordinary woman in extraordinary times? So I'll talk about some of the high-level champions. Um, I got to meet President Carter, who is now, in, I think he's 98 years of age, remarkable human being. He's regarded as one of the United States presidents who's been a better president out of office than any president in office. I travelled through the occupied territories of Palestine with him, monitoring the elections on two occasions. He was the most remarkable human being that I've met. Um, constantly champion the issue of rights for the vulnerable and those who were struggling, just to exercise their right to vote. I went with him in a post office in East Jerusalem, where the Israelis had closed the post office saying, no, Palestinians are not going to vote here. And when he heard it, he asked us to come down. He stood outside the post office, and in my book, I say, can you imagine the shock of the post office person inside opening the door and getting annoyed and thinking, who the hell is this banging on my door? He opens the door, and there's the President Carter standing outside demanding the right of the Palestinians to vote. Needless to say, they did get the right to vote that occasion. But on that same trip, an earlier trip actually, just after the peace agreement, we were asked to go to Israel and Palestine. I went with David uh, Irvine, who has spoken here, who was the leader of the Progressive Unionist Party, a loyalist, and in my book, I talk about how he and I reached out to each other through those two years of the peace talks to understand each other, to build a relationship. David Trimble came with us as well. He was the, later the first minister. Um, and at that stage, actually, he was now in the first assembly, as were David Irvine and myself. We crossed the border uh, into Gaza, where we were staying, um, and then over to Ramallah. <laughs> David Trimble did not come with us initially because he insisted that he must meet the Prime Minister of Israel first before he met President Arafat. David Irvine and I and others, Albie Sachs, the constitutional lawyer in the Supreme Court of South Africa, accompanied us, as did a number of others, peace builders from other parts of the world. And we sat down and told President Arafat, and this is a funny story, which I did not expect ever to witness. We sat down and we told President Arafat that we had, uh, that morning, David Irvine and I had decided to go to a refugee camp um, in Gaza. Um, and we were commenting in the round table 
to President Arafat how the children were smiling under incredibly difficult conditions. We could see that they were suffering from malnutrition. Um, they were running around in their bare feet, but they were still laughing. President Arafat smiled. He liked the story. And he turned and he said to David Irvine, the leader of the Loyalist Party, I am so delighted, he said, that you have come all the way from Ireland. He said, I wanted all of my life to meet the head of the revolutionaries in Ireland. He thought he was Gerry Adams. <laughs> to, to David Irvine's credit, he smiled and he just thanked President Arafat for his hospitality. In my book, I say, I wonder what David Trimble would have said had he said the same words to him. So later I got to meet President Clinton. It was a bit of an occupational hazard for a woman called Monica to be introduced <laughs> to Bill Clinton. Um, not once or twice, but on many occasions. And actually more recently on the 25th anniversary. Um, I'm sure it's as difficult for him as it is for me each time uh, that we're introduced to each other. Um, but I, again, I have a funny story that when he initially came and I had met Hillary Clinton at the White House, and the reason why I'd met her is because the parties had been invited into the Oval Office to meet President Clinton each St. Patrick's Day. But they forgot about us, the women. Um, and one of the state security people came up, high-level official, and said, I'm terribly sorry, he said, you should have been in there also, but would you mind meeting Hillary Clinton instead? It felt like the woman meeting the woman, or something that she was secondary to President Clinton for us. It was great. So instead of 10 minutes, which we had been allotted, we ended up talking for over an hour. And she stayed involved with us ever since. And again, she came recently. She's now the Chancellor of Queen's University. Imagine that commitment all those 25 years later. And we stay in touch regularly. Um, and again, it was, it was quite an incredible meeting because I remember Bill Clinton saying, I'm not sure if I've said this in the book, and it worried me a little to hear that this was going out live, but who cares? The older I get, the longer, you know, I don't care anymore about what's said. Um, he actually said, I believe my wife had a much more interesting afternoon this afternoon than I had. He had just met the leaders of the political parties. Um, and it was quite interesting that that engagement, that interest has stayed ever since. And the interest, Brian, is that Enniskillen, which is where his family come from, um, is now the headquarters of Waterways Ireland. Um, but they have maintained that interest ever since. And then um, onwards, we have met wonderful people, and they have helped us. I've been involved with the families of the disappeared. Um, they are they disappeared from the troubles in Northern Ireland, and slowly but surely we've recovered one body after the other, and that has been the US influence, because we were digging in the wrong places. We were, I work voluntarily with WAVE, the victims organization in Northern Ireland, um, and Sandra Peake, who leads the families of the disappeared, realized that unless we had good forensic um, evidence, and that came through the United States, and it was interesting how that came. It came because Irish labourers who had been digging the railroad, the Pennsylvanian railroad, as they do to Irish labourers in all of many countries that I've visited, when they died, they just dumped their bodies and buried them. They were poor people. And over a hundred of them were buried in unmarked graves, somewhere in Pennsylvania. A hundred years later, their families wanted them back to give them a decent burial. And so they brought in these experts from Virginia who had been used on archaeological digs, mostly for the colonial digs. And they discovered the bodies. And they brought every one of them back and gave them to their Irish um, intergenerational, actually, families, probably by then their grandchildren, and gave them a Christian burial. And when we heard this, we asked if these individuals could come and do the same in Ireland, because quite a lot of the bodies were buried across the border. Um, in Monaghan um, and other parts. Um, and one of those searches is still ongoing uh, for Columba McVeigh. Um, and it's very difficult when they don't find the body. 
But again, it was thanks to the US and the intervention of President Clinton. So although President Clinton is known, and he is one of the finest speechmakers I have ever heard, and I've stood in front of him and sat in front of him, and you don't make speeches about Northern Ireland without being very careful, because you're going to offend somebody if you say something or go in a certain direction. He never put it, got it wrong. I was mesmerized about how someone from another country, we often call these people our third party, got involved in our conflict here um, and got it right. Um, I had a different experience going back to the White House and meeting President Bush. Um, and this time Paisley came with us, Ian Paisley. Ian Paisley refused to come with us the years before saying that Clinton had been too generous to Gerry Adams and giving him a visa. And that was the start of bringing him in from the cold. Um, and Ian Paisley was very unhappy at that decision, so he refused ever to go to the White House under Clinton. But he came under President Bush, and we were all lined up. Um, and President Bush said it was just after 9-11, the following March. Um, he said, it's good to see you, and I'm always the last in line because our party was the smallest, and it's sometimes the best place to be because people then have more time to talk to you when you're the last in the line. Um, and I, he said, how's things in Ireland, Northern Ireland? I said, we're learning to live with what we did to each other. Um, and he said, I will never forgive... Uh, forget, never forgive those people in Afghanistan. And he used a particular word to describe them. And I said, Mr. President, in front of you is Gerry Adams, in front of you is Ian Paisley, in front of you is David Irvine. We all come from different backgrounds. If we're not going to learn how to deal with each other, and I did not say forget, I did not say forgive, I said we're learning to live with what we have done. So we kind of... That was the end of the conversation. Next time I met him was at Hillsborough Castle, just as the decision was being made to go into the Iraq war. And needless to say, the people of Ireland were not very happy with this decision. Um, was it an invasion? Did Saddam Hussein have weapons of mass destruction? Had, was he bypassing the United Nations and making this decision? Again, I knew I'd be the last in line. Tony Blair was there as Prime Minister, and Condoleezza Rice was there, and Colin Powell was there. All these very memorable names um, of high-level people in the US government. I decided to write a letter and talked about how easy it was to put bits on the ground and how difficult it would be to withdraw an army from a country without people having a decision made that had United Nations approval, and that we had experienced that. I also wrote some words, and I explain it in my book, about when is war justified in terms of entering a country. And I gave him the letter, and again, I was the last in the line-up, and he said, hit me with it. And I said, oh, no, he said, you again. And I thought, geez, remembered me. Um, he said, hit me with it. And I said, no, I just like to give it to you. Um, it's about, obviously, the invasion. And he said, um, or the war in Iraq, depends on the language. Um, the night before, actually, I had stood on a platform on the motorway. There had been a massive protest uh, by civic society against us meeting with President Bush. And I explained that during the peace talks, I had gone in to meet the prisoners on both sides to make them understand the need for peace talks not to make them, not even to persuade them, to get them to understand why their leaders were at the table and for not for them to withdraw their support because the people in prisons often feel the people at the table are traitors or selling out or treacherous. And so it was my job and the job, well, we felt at their invitation of the loyalist parties in particular who requested that we go in it was a tough enough journey to make into that prison with Alsatian dogs barking at your ankles. And I'll never forget the pornographic pictures on the walls of the prison officers who then gave us a key to go into a mobile hut and to sit down with three 
notorious people on the loyalist side, not pleasant people. Um, and they locked that mobile door and left us there for three hours. Um, but it worked. Um, Mo Molan went in later and those guys stayed at the table. And it was, I'm glad that we did it. But I tell you that story because it was a very important moment in which you do very difficult things. And again, I'm sure President Clinton had to make that decision when he first gave Gerry Adams the visa. So you do take risks, you take enormous risks. And anyway, Bush, I had to explain to the people, and it was a massive crowd had come out onto the motorway and the motorway was closed, that that was the reason why I'd gone into the prisons. That I don't choose always the people that speak, I speak to. And sometimes you have to speak to people that no one else will speak to. And that I was going to speak to President Bush for that reason. Anyway, we, President Bush and I got engaged when I gave him this letter. Not engaged as in, like, really good fun engaged. Engaged in a difficult conversation where he said, don't you know Saddam Hussein is a gangster and a rapist and a criminal? I don't know if you... I was going to say, I don't know if you've ever met President Bush. <laughs> but if you've met President Bush, he has this unusual way of standing nose to nose to you and kind of a little bit close to you. So his nose was kind of against me, but if you ever quote the word gangster, criminal and rapist, the whole room goes silent because they hear the word rapist. So Condoleezza Rice was silent, Colin Powell was silent, Prime Minister Blair was silent, all the leaders of the political parties who were my colleagues were silent. And they were thinking, what is President Bush saying to her? And what is she saying to him that the word rapist has to be used? I decided just to stay, hold my peace, and said, Mr. President, I am the member of the Assembly for South Belfast, and every day I have to deal with criminals, gangsters, and rapists, but I use due process. I don't have the bombs to bomb them from the air or to blow them to pieces. I use due process. So President Bush started to respond, saying, so you think I'm not going through the United Nations and starting to explain? And I said, well, it looks to us and to most of the world that you're bypassing the UN. And on the conversation went. And next thing, Tony Blair pulls him to the side by the shoulder and says, Mr. President, you're going to be late for lunch. And I said, I smiled. And the president said, no, I have to have the last word with this woman. Luckily, it ended quite quickly with my colleague, Jane Morris, who was the Deputy Speaker of the Assembly, saying, Oh, Mr. President, my sister knows your brother, Jed, from Florida. It turned out she actually did. And then the conversation switched to something lighter. But I thought, as I went home that night, and the journalists wanted to know what the conversation was, that I couldn't tell that story all those years ago. Because it didn't seem sensible to be able to say any more than it did when President Clinton met me, what did President Clinton say to you today? Because they would have become the major stories. And similarly, it was with President Mandela, who we met in South Africa, and he's the last one I'll speak about. We went quietly, when no one knew we were there, in 1997 to South Africa. At the invitation of President de Klerk and President Mandela and others who had just been coming through their transition. We went with two aeroplanes because the unionists said they would not travel on the same plane as Sinn Féin in 1997 because their rationale was the IRA had not reinstated their ceasefire and Sinn Féin were not at the peace talks. So two aeroplanes, when we arrived, we transferred at Johannesburg Airport we didn't ever go through customs. We handed our passports to someone. We got on a smaller plane, blacked out windows, and got dumped in a military camp in Arniston, somewhere out in the Eastern Cape. Um, my children were small when we were told we couldn't communicate with anyone whilst we were there, because they wanted us to be in kind of a place where journalists did not know what was going on. Because it's true, the journalists were at home destroying the process by, by proxy, the war was being fought by proxy through the media, which was not good, and it wasn't a huge problem for our peace talks. 
So for three days, we sat quietly listening to the South Africans from every walk of life, little lazy people to clerks, the liberals, uh, even the far-right National Party. And we listened. Mandela was incredible. But it's incredible to tell you that in 1997, Mandela had to do his talk twice because our parties would not come together. Unions would not sit in the same room as Sinn Féin. And I was glad the loyalists agreed eventually to go into the bungalow. I had to sit down and talk to Sinn Féin for the first time. I gave them the key and said, you guys need to chat and get on with it. It wasn't the most incredible three days, and I say that it changed the whole trajectory of the talks. Because being taken away and quietly um, talking really did help. And I, when I heard the, the name of Fecal tonight, I thought that also was the case many, many years before, just down the road. Um, and fair play to those who tried their best back then. And who knows, had it been successful, we might not have gone through what we went through. So County Clare should be proud of making that attempt all those decades ago. But South Africa isn't often mentioned. Um, and I did in my book talk about these stories. And I could not have talked about them when we came home. And Mandela turned to us and he said, I find it incredible. You're all Christian. You're all supposedly Christian. You're all white. You all speak English. But you all hate each other. And you've brought apartheid back to South Africa. We had two of everything. They even had to put a set of artificial trees up the room so that we didn't see, some of them didn't see each other. And needless to say, I went between all of them. Um, but it was, I think, even if some DUP did not in the end speak, unionists did come into the room one night um, where the Republican Sinn Féin were sitting, mainly through a sing-song. They said it was a mistake. I'm not so sure it was. Um, but... We came home and quietly went about our business. The IRA reinstated their ceasefire three days later. I was involved behind the scenes in helping to talk about what it would be like when Sinn Féin entered the peace talks um, because we had already been there for a year. So I'll stop there and just talk about the importance of a bottom-up peace movement, the importance of champions, the importance of other countries, and how Ireland, North and South, has been so privileged to have so many good people working for us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Monica. And uh, we hope, we know you're around for part of the weekend anyway. So hopefully you'll enjoy your first Scarif Harbour Festival. So again, many thanks. Anyway, that's the end of the proceedings this evening. Just to remind you as well, Scarif Library tomorrow at three o'clock. Uh, Monica has whetted our appetite, I think, for the, uh, the talk and the chat and the readings that she will give there, talking about her book, uh, Stand Up and Speak Out. Anyway, I hope that's not my phone. Uh, delighted to welcome all our guests this evening. Great that... Uh, Scarif Harbour Festival 2023 is back up and running. So, as I said at the start, get a wristband, get a brochure, probably this evening an umbrella, I would suggest. And uh, hope all of you have a brilliant weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you.